At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in, my, in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the ser his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free, and he, as he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? The Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies in the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember this holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people this knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we have prepared our hearts through worship and through singing, and we've heard the scripture, and now, Lord, as we wait um, to hear the words that you've prepared for Pastor Mike to give to us, we, um, we open our hearts to hear your word. We open our hearts to um, embrace your love and embrace the hope and the joy that this season brings to us. Lord, we pray that the words that you've given to Pastor Mike and the words that he's about to say, that they are just yours and none of his, that you have provided the words that will speak to our hearts and speak to the world, the love that your son Jesus Christ gives to us and shows to us through the season of Advent and through this Christmas season. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. 
good good start to worship just love seeing those carols and whatnot it's december a lot going on in december I want you to look at that uh, insert that you've got posted in your bulletin take home uh, see what we've got going on i want to add one thing to it those of you that have uh, children or grandchildren on december 20th that's a friday night at uh, 6 30 p.m we're gonna have a puppet show in here a christmas puppet show we hope you'll come uh, that they hadn't quite ironed out the date um, quite yet. And I just want to take one minute to those of you that wear um, hearing assisted devices. If you have a T coil in your hearing aid, can you hear me right now? You cannot? Okay, so we're working on that. So uh, sorry, this microphone didn't work at the earlier service, and we apologize for that. Um, but we'll work that out during the week. We do have a T coil in here. Um, so uh, uh, sorry about that for those of you that didn't, don't have that, and we'll get that solved. Christmas is questionable. Week two. Excited to preach this sermon series. I was talking to my friend Larry out in the, in the back. It's been fun because I get to prepare a lot of stuff I've never done before. A lot of history, a lot of stuff like that. And these sermons pretty much welled up from me asking people that aren't necessarily Christian, what about Christmas makes you wonder about stuff? So here we go, week two. What do Jews have to do with Christmas? Let's go with the fun answer first. Uh, ten of your favorite Christmas songs were written by Jewish composers, but I'm just going to go through five of them. White Christmas, Erling, Irving Berlin, a Jewish person. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Santa Claus is coming to town. And of course, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All written by Jewish people. So what do Jews have to do with Christmas? That's the fun answer. But let's go on. What do Jews have to do with Christmas? Let's look at serious answer. The answer is a lot. Christmas is for the Jews. You understand this? Faithful Jews yearned for centuries for the Messiah to come. That's what they prayed for. That's what they hoped for. That's what the prophets of God were talking about. The prophets were saying that the Messiah was coming to visit their people. That's what <coughs> Micah was talking about. That's what Isaiah was talking about. That's what Jeremiah was talking about. The men of renown, Abraham, Moses, Jacob, David, looked through the dim mist of history, and they could see that glimpse, just a glimpse of that great shining day when the Messiah would come and God would visit his people, the Jews. Our own Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. What does Christmas have to do with the Jews? They're the target audience. They're the whole purpose of Christianity. See, Jesus is the founder of Christianity for sure, no question about that, but his intent was not to form a new religion. He was born and lived as a faithful Jew, and his earliest followers, all Jews. His hope was to restore his people, not start a new movement. His hope was to restore his people if they would receive him. See, Christianity as a separate religion only came about several hundred years after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus did not reject Judaism. Now, this is really important. <clears throat> Jesus did not reject Judaism and. This and is huge and probably the cause of some of the division. The and is that Jesus, several times in the gospel, put himself and the Holy Spirit equal with God the Father in regards to divinity. So, so Jesus referred to himself and the Holy Spirit 
as equal with God the Father. And the Jews couldn't reconcile that. They couldn't reconcile this Trinitarian belief that we have as Christians, this, this three, three personalities of one God, because they believe in the divine oneness of God, that God has to be one. But there's more. <clears throat> John the Baptist and Jesus were both circumcised as raised, uh, and, and raised as Jews. As it says in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist, on the eighth day, his parents came to circumcise him. Jesus, Luke chapter 2, 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So, let's stop for a second. So, it is tragic when we have our Christmas pageants, when we go to plays, when we hear about Christmas stories, or even when we just read the Christmas story, it is tragic that Zechariah and Elizabeth never make it into the Christmas pageant because they're so critical. That which that, that, that Caden and uh, Grace read about a few moments ago because they are so integral, so important to the story of the incarnation of God. Now, I'm going to just take a minute right here, too, by the way. If you're not Christian or you haven't really got all the Christian lingo down, I want to talk about the word incarnation. It's not about uh, instant breakfast or something like that. The word incarnation, well, let me give it to you a simple way. This is the way I'd do it if I was teaching a bunch of third graders. Um, this is a little bit interactive. You've, you've all had chili. Do you know what chili con carne is? Chili with, chili with meat, okay? So God incarnate is God with flesh, meat, human being, okay? So when we talk about the incarnation of God, what we're talking about is God taking the form of human being with flesh and bones, okay? So Elizabeth and, and Zechariah are <coughs> absolutely integral, integral to the story of the incarnation of God. So the question, what do Jews have to do with Christmas? They provide a model of faithfulness because Zechariah and Elizabeth are found righteous, in the eyes of God. They're outwardly religious, which means they, they observe all of the Jewish religious customs and traditions. They do the prayers daily like they're supposed to. They yearn for the Messiah, and inwardly, they are faithful and obedient to God every single day. But there is a problem for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're childless, and they're old. And the Lord responds to their faithfulness. There is this angelic intervention and blessing. Gabriel, the angel shows up and says, your, your, your prayers have been heard. Your, your prayers have been, have been heard. And, and they're doing the typical prayers. You know, Zechariah is typically, like all Jews would do, is praying for the Messiah to come, and he's adding his own prayer. He wants this child. So badly does he want a child. And the angel comes in and says, your wife We'll have a child in her old age. Your wife will bear a child, and his name will be great. You, Zechariah, have this responsibility to call him John. You're to call him John. You're to give him a name that's different from the names you might expect to give him. You're to do that. He, according to, to the angel, speaking of John the Baptist, <clears throat> will be great. He's going to come with the spirit of Elijah. Now, the spirit of Elijah is the great prophet. They're the voice that Jews for ages have been waiting for, for someone to speak with the, with the voice of Elijah. <clears throat> and so when he comes, he's going to make ready the way. So understand this about Zechariah. Internally, Zechariah is hearing Gabriel's voice, and he's, and he's understanding that his prayers be answered. So when he says... In your old age, you're going to get a child. Don't you think in his, in his heart of hearts that Zechariah is like, yes, 
I mean, he's so excited. These are the prayers we've been waiting for. The Messiah is coming, and we get a son. Exter internally, he's like, yes, externally, completely human. He looks straight at the angel <laughs> and says, how can I be sure of this? As if Gabriel showing up wasn't enough. <laughs> I don't know how many encounters with angels you guys have had this week, not counting me, of course, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. I can hear up here. You know that, right? All right. But, but, but how can I be sure? And there's this angelic exception. Gabriel drops his business card. He's like, you see me, right? You see me. So now you, now remember, remember, Zechariah's a preacher. Now you get to be silent for the nine months of this pregnant. How would you like that, preachers? Not how would you like it, how would I like it, right? You get to be silent because you've doubted. Not, not because you're faithful. You've been faithful, but the moment God shows up, you've turned human and doubt on us. So now you're going to be silent until the baby's born. Now, just, just to be honest about this, because I've been trying to do this, some of the research I've been doing on this, you know, the Islamic community, the Muslims, they believe that, that um, Zechariah's silence only lasted three days. But Christians believe, according to the gospel story, that Zechariah is silent all the way until he gives birth, until she gives birth. God himself, too, takes the naming rights away from Zechariah. You, you remember the expression from 10 years ago, who's your daddy? Right? Remember that expression? Who's your daddy? Your daddy is the person that names you. That's who your daddy is. And in the Bible, who is naming John the Baptist is God. God says, you can be the father, but I'm the daddy. And it all happens to lead us to a time of praise and proclamation. Israel never gave up, never gave up in believing that God was going to come and would keep his promises. Generations came and lived and died, and more generations came and went, and the hope of the divine visitation never completely waned. It never completely died out, and now the moment has arrived. Only correct response that's available to us is praise and proclamation. So let me give you a quick five things. Praise and proclamation of the one great truth, God at last, at long last, has visited his people. First, divine visitation has a saving purpose. Understand this about Christ's coming. God's not coming to earth to check up on us. God doesn't come to earth to see, you know, how we're doing, how things are with us. He already knows. That's why he comes. God comes to earth because he knows we're in trouble. He comes to rescue us from that trouble. He comes to, to save us. This is what Christmas is all about. So, so the second thing of praise and proclamation that we as Christians alongside Zechariah have to do is the divine visitation is God keeping his promises see God can never lie he never tells an untruth and he never backs up from his truth God is now doing what he promised to do the prophets said there would be a time when God would send no more signs no more messages no more prophets and come himself and the coming in the birth of Jesus Christ is the crux and the point of history God keeping his promise. Thirdly, the divine visitation transforms the lives of those who follow him. Many of us, some of us here, but many in our generation for sure, live in quiet desperation, 
looking for this, longing for an answer to a simple question, why am I here? What is life all about? And Zechariah makes it clear that Jesus comes to admit us to faithful service to him. He comes to let us in on the heavenly kingdom, to let us in on the work that God is already working. This is the highest calling in the universe to be part of God's workmanship. The scriptures say all the time that we're part of God's workmanship, that there's, there's, there's deeds and, and, and lives for us made before we even were. And Zechariah comes to admit us to that work, transforming us as to who we are. Fourth, the divine visitation is an invitation to prepare. We prepare visually, lighting candles down the Advent path. But the prophet of the Most High, John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, comes and makes a call to repentance. It is interesting, or should be interesting to the Christian mind, that thousands, not a few, but thousands flee their towns to go out into the middle of nowhere, literally and physically, and confess their sins and be baptized by John the Baptist into a baptism of repentance. They're, they're, they're clearing their souls such as it was. They're preparing their way. They're, they're getting the road ready for the Messiah to come into their heart. And John the Baptist comes to get a whole nation ready to give people, as, as Zechariah proclaims, to give people knowledge of salvation. You gotta know it's available. You have to know that it's coming and it comes through the forgiveness of sins. You ultimately clean your life first before the main resident of your heart, Jesus Christ, can come in. And last, the divine visitation is liberating. You know the story. What, whatever the opposites are, light, light, replace darkness, pardon, replaces death, you heard Betsy talk about how grief is replaced by joy, how guidance is replaced, replaces the lostness. Because here's where we're at, at the, at the crossroads of history. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Nothing like God intervening, putting himself here on earth in human flesh has ever happened before. Nor has it happened since God offers himself in Jesus Christ first to the Hebrews and through them to every person that ever shall live. First for them, now for all of us. This is what the Jews have to do with Christmas. Now today, we're going to take Holy Communion. And Holy Communion is a time for you to pray about, to think deeply about, to, to rest in this. We've created a lot of minutes for this today to really contemplate what God's visitation in Jesus Christ at Christmas means for you, what, what the point of it is for you. It's, it's not about getting the right airline tickets. It's not about being at Christmas Eve services on time, but what does this Christmas mean to you? with the liturgy, with the taste and the time on your knees or, or at your seat, I encourage you to give praise and proclamation to how specifically at Christmas you see that God came to save your life. Insert your name here. How specifically at Christmas does God come to take you from what you 
were to what you can be. Specifically at Christmas, as you come to your knees, I ask that you see God keeping his promises in your life. You know we're imperfect, right? But God has promised us things and through these tastes and these sounds and this time, how do you feel and see that God is keeping his promises to you? <clears throat> when you come for communion, how specifically at Christmas do you see that God is transforming you? How is he making something brand new in you? And, and how specifically at Christmas is God inviting you to prepare more fully for a life with him? Sometimes we don't get ready for that at all. You know, honestly, most of the time we're just hoping for the best. But at Christmas, we're giving these great big reminders. I mean, there's bells and whistles and the stores are going crazy and the church is all decorated and everywhere we go, there's music playing to remind us that God is inviting you <clears throat> to prepare more fully for life with Him and how specifically at Christmas. And I, I pray that you'll, 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 you'll pray this over and think this over at the, Advent, at the communion rail. How specifically at Christmas do you see that God is liberating you from that which seems to be chasing you down from behind that has its hand on your back. You know, communion at any time of the year is that time that we're really supposed to just be with God. That's what it means to commune. You know, we sometimes worry about who's in front of us or how loud the music is or how much time we are in. I've got a clock on the back wall that says we're five minutes ahead of where we thought we might be at this time according to this yellow sheet, which is our scorecard, which means we have time to pray and still beat the Baptist to the buffet. <laughs> Probably none of us need a buffet this weekend, though, right? Can I get an amen? All right. Uh, no. But when we take Holy Communion, we need to remember this thing. Um, long before... Long before you were born, long before Christ came into the world, long before John the Baptist was sent, long before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, long before that sea opened up for Moses and the, and, and the Egyptians to walk through, all before that, God knew from beginning to end. He knew the nature of freedom that he gave us. And he knew that he had a great plan for us to be with him and to serve him forever. And that sometimes our earthly nature pulls us down. So ultimately, he had a plan to bring us home. Because I got to tell you, there's always a way home, and it's through Jesus Christ. And so long before Christ came, he knew that, that even though he was going to be born of a virgin, remember, this is the only, the only son that made his own mother long before he was going to be born of the virgin, long before he was going to meet with a priest in the temple, long before he was going to walk on water, long before he was going to give Bartimaeus his sight back, long before he was going to be put on that cross or raised from that dead, he knew there would become a night where he would have to bestow the truth on his disciples. And so one night, as they gathered at the Passover, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he offered that to them and said, Take and eat. This bread represents me, my body. And every time you eat bread, and we eat bread a lot, every time you eat bread, remember me. Remember where I came from. Remember where you're going, because I desire it to be with me. Now after the supper, 
which was, you know, a normal Jewish Seder. Jesus raised the cup, and he broke the script of the Seder for the second time. And he held the cup up, gave thanks to his Father in heaven, and then said to his disciples, Drink from this, all of you, for in this cup is the wine, which represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as ye eat bread, drink wine in remembrance of me. So we remember. We don't just rush through all this. We remember Christ, and we remember what he invites us to at Christmas when we come forward and we eat and drink at his table. Now, there's very simplistic instructions to communion. The first one is, you're in a United Methodist Church, so I'm sure as you've seen on the screen a number of times while I'm talking, simplistically, you are welcome and you are invited. To us, it doesn't matter where you came from. It matters where you're going to, which we pray is with a life with Christ. For you, if you're from a religious tradition that says, oh, maybe I shouldn't, and you're hesitant, understand that's you, and that's okay if you need to stay where you're at, or if you don't even understand what we're doing here, just stay where you're at and meditate or pray. There'll be some wonderful uh, meditative music going on and, and people taking time at prayer. If you um, desire uh, and need gluten-free communion, it's here in the center, and if you're on our communion team that takes uh, uh, the elements to um, our homebound folks or the hospitals or nursing homes, it's to my far right, your far left. And if you simply want to receive the meal, we take communion in a very simplistic way here called intinction. You come forward, there will be a steward first holding a basket that you can put your offering in. Second, there will be a tray of bread. And you just take bread with your own hand and then dip it in the cup that one of our stewards will be holding. Receive communion and then go to the prayer altar if you'd like. Um, we'll have a station on your far right, in the center, on your far left. And if you return to your seats through the side center aisles, uh, that will be the least confusion. But take your time. Pray at the altar as long as you'd want or stay in your seats as long as you want. But understand this. This is your invitation, and this is for you. Give the stewards and myself just a moment to get ready and then come and eat and drink at your Lord's table. <laughs>